I've been looking forward to this day ever since Thomas and Cheryl Olson said that they were willing to come and to share their story. It is powerful. It is moving. And I encourage you, as, as they come, I encourage you to pray for them and to lift them up and to hear prayerfully what the Lord would say to you through them. May we pray. Father God, we thank you for your mercy and your grace and your love and your power. And this day, in this place, we pray that you would speak through Thomas and Cheryl. Fill them with your spirit so that we might hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans for good and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And when you call upon me, and when you come and pray to me, then I will listen to you. And when you seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. By the time I reached my mid-30s, I had everything. I had three beautiful children, a husband, a lovely home in the country with a pool. I had a late model car. I traveled. I even had a successful business career. But even though I had everything, it just wasn't enough. And so I set about on a search to find out what was missing. Now, I started by reading self-help books, and from there I moved on to New Age books, and then I began attending New Age seminars. Now, one seminar was very popular at the time. They guaranteed if you paid their ridiculous fee and attended their grueling 60-hour course, that at the end of that time, they would share with you the secret to life and happiness. Well, I had the time and I had the money, so it seemed worthwhile. Some people have said to me, how could you be so naive? That sounds like something you'd hear about on a late-night TV commercial. But let me tell you something. There were people with a lot more money than I had, a lot more success than I had, and they were doing this seminar. So I knew at least one thing going in. I was not the only one walking around with an emptiness inside. So just as they promised, on the final evening, the instructor stood proud and tall as he was about to announce to about 2,000 participants the secret to life and happiness. And this is what he said. This is it. This is all there is. There's no hope and there's no help. And if some level of happiness is missing in your life, then you need to go out and create it because it's not going to show up on your doorstep. Well, I did feel ripped off, and I felt angry. But over the next days and weeks and months, as I considered all this new information, it actually began to make sense to me. And then I knew what I had to do. I went to my husband of 14 years. I casually ended our marriage. I didn't give much thought at all to the pain that it would bring to him or our three children because life was about me no matter what the cost. 
Now, it wasn't long after I made that decision that things really did begin to pick up in my life. I was happier than I'd ever been. I was meeting new people, going new places, experiencing new things. And uh, as some women in here might be able to relate, it's hard to be completely happy without a man in your life. And I found this man that swept me off my feet. He was charming and witty, intelligent, handsome, successful. He really was handsome. Uh, but I'll tell you the thing that made him so appealing to me. He treated me like I was the most important person in the world. I was so special to him. So we dated. We had a courtship that lasted about 18 months, and then we decided to get married. And we got married on Friday evening in a beautiful ceremony in front of family and friends. And on Monday, my new husband did not come home. He decided early on that he preferred the single life to that of family man. And thus set in motion a pattern of drinking and leaving that would last for many years and take a huge emotional toll on me and my kids. You know, Cheryl wasn't really all that special to me. In fact, I treated all the ladies as if they were the only one until I'd gotten what I wanted and then I'd just move on. But somehow, this relationship with Cheryl had gotten out of control and had gone to an area that I'd never, ever planned. In fact, the next thing I knew, we were planning a wedding and a marriage. I can remember that Friday evening that we, were to, that we were to marry. And I was on my way to the ceremony, supposedly practicing those vows I was supposed to memorize. And all I could do is think over and over in my mind, what in the world have I done? Thomas, what are you doing? I hadn't even said I do yet. And I'm already having regrets. I think I'm regretting that microphone. And as Cheryl told you, I did get there. I went through that ceremony. And our marriage began on a Friday. And sure enough, on Monday, late in the day, I called her and I said, Cheryl, I can't come home. I have made a really big mistake. In fact... It's a mistake that we both made, and we need to end it now because things are just going to get worse for you, me, and the kids. But somehow, she managed to console me, and she convinced me that it would be good if I would come home. And here's the, the catch, though. I agreed to come home. But in the back of my mind, I knew that I was going to find a way and a time to leave Now, it's hard for me to describe, even after all these years, the incredible guilt that I felt for what my children were forced to endure. Through no fault of their own, they had been taken from a stable, loving home environment, and they were now being subjected to my new husband's drunken tirades, his emotional and verbal abuse. For myself personally, I was so humiliated, and I felt such rejection. 
I tell you, I tried everything to make the marriage work, but nothing I did helped, and I began to see myself as a complete failure without hope. I sank into a deep depression. I wanted to die. Now, I had this friend. She's my very best friend. We went to Catholic school together, and somewhere in her late 20s, she'd had some sort of experience with Jesus. Now, I didn't want anything at all to do with that, but she was still my best friend, and so I began sharing with her things that were going on in my marriage, and she would always end our conversation with the words, let's pray, except she was the one doing the praying, and it was powerful prayer. It was unlike anything I'd ever heard. I knew beyond any shadow of a doubt when she prayed, God was listening to her. A few nights later, I was alone in my kitchen, feeling so broken, so desperate, so helpless, and so hopeless. I dropped to my knees, and I said, Oh God, if you're real, if you're the kind of God that my friend says you are, would you be willing to listen to me the way you listen to her? because I've made a mess of my life, and I need you to show me how to live. And then I just laid in the floor in my kitchen. It was so quiet. I tell you, the cry of my heart was so deep and sincere that night, I actually thought God might open up heaven and come down. But he didn't. A couple of nights later in the same kitchen, my phone rang, and it was my brother, Now, my brother lived in Memphis, and I lived in Atlanta at the time, and from that day until this, he has never been to Atlanta on business, but he was there that night, and he called just to see how I was doing. Now, as strange as this may sound, my brother, just like my friend, had also had some weird born-again experience, and so I felt like it would be safe to share with him what had transpired in my kitchen a few nights earlier. And when I did, of course, he rejoiced. And then he asked me a question that would change my life forever. He said, do you have a Bible? Well, of course, I didn't. He showed up at my home a short time later with a green hardcover Gideon Bible tucked under his arm. He led me to the kitchen table, and he opened up, and he began reading the most beautiful story I'd ever heard. It was Luke chapter 15, and it was the story of the prodigal son. Well, as he's reading that story, the tears are just pouring from my eyes and because I knew that was my story. And he said, no, that's your husband's story. And as soon as he finishes wallowing in the pig pen, he's going to be home. Now, I tell you, my brother was so precious that night. He spent hours with me reviewing every scripture in the New Testament that assured me of my eternal salvation. And then he took me to the help section of the Gideon Bible and showed me that God not only had a plan for my eternal life, but he had a plan for my life now. As he prepared to leave, the Bible laid on the table, and I said, here, don't don't forget your Bible. And he said, no, I brought it from the hotel. It's yours to keep. Well, I didn't want to start my new Christian life out as a thief, but... He insisted. He said, honey, the Gideons want you to take it. 
Well, let me tell you, I had no idea what a Gideon was, but I did trust my brother. And so I kept that Bible. And when he left, I now went back to my favorite chapter, the only chapter I really knew, the book of Luke. And I opened up again, and I began reading. And let me tell you what I found. In Luke 18, chapter 1, is the story of the persistent widow. Now, if any of you are going through a trial and you haven't read that lately, I suggest you go home and read it. But the whole reason that Jesus tells the story is so that we will learn to pray and not give up, to pray and not lose hope. I tell you, that was just the encouragement I needed. And then I couldn't believe my good fortune. In the same chapter, 1836, is a story of Jesus on the road to Jericho. And obviously there's commotion in town because Jesus is coming through, and there's a blind man sitting there, Bartimaeus, and he wants to know what's up. He hears that Jesus is coming through, and he starts crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, Jesus' friends are trying to quiet him down, but he's insistent. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus says, bring that man to me. Jesus knows when we have faith. They brought the man to him, and then Jesus put this question to him. What do you want me to do for you? That still gives me chills. Can you imagine the creator of the universe asking what he can do for us? Well, the blind man said he wanted his sight restored. And I yelled out in the kitchen that night, Lord, I want my marriage restored. So amazing. That same kitchen just a few nights earlier, I had cried out to God for help. And now I was holding the evidence of his help right in my hands. I tell you, I totally fell in love with the word of God that night. Now, rather than improve my marriage, it actually made things worse. My new relationship with Jesus was very offensive to my husband. He taunted me, he called me a Bible thumper, and he was more determined than ever to be rid of me. It is true that Cheryl's new Christian life did not agree with me at all. It actually made things worse. Now we'd be arguing, and instead of her yelling and screaming, or if I'd be up to something that I shouldn't have been, and she'd be yelling and screaming about that, now she was actually being soft and gentle and nice to me, and I didn't like it. In fact, we'd be in a disagreement over any number of things. Could be trivial, could be a big thing, but we'd be disagreeing about something, and she would say, let's pray. Pray? We're, you know, we're arguing here. What are we going to pray about? And she was constantly reading that Bible of hers. You know, as she said, I referred to her as a Bible thumper. I literally mocked her at times for being in the Word as much as she was. And uh, I, I just I wasn't comfortable around that at all. Well, as time went on, we began to attend church on occasion. I would, well, she would attend more regularly, but sporadically I would go with her, but it was always to a large church where I could be lost and 
kind of hide and act like everything was just fine. But then she found this small church that was having a revival tent meeting. Oh, man, I knew she had really gone off the deep end now. And she would come home, and the next day she would be telling me all about that meeting the night before, how awesome it was, and telling me how much I would love it, and you need to go, you need to hear this, you need to see it, you need to experience it. I just, again, didn't, didn't want anything to do with that. Uh, in fact, if you think about it, being raised in a Christian home, why would that be so foreign to me? But I finally relented and I went. And let me tell you, it lasted for hours. I mean, there was singing and praising and testimonies and preaching. And then there was more singing and praising. And I, I just wanted to get out of there. It was just totally foreign to me. Now, if you think about this, I was raised in a Christian home. I had the eight-year perfect attendance pin, uh, pin for Sunday school. You know, I'd heard all that stuff. In fact, in some ways, I thought I knew more than she did. The difference was she believed what she read. And she took her personal relationship with Jesus Christ seriously. I knew about God. She knew God. Well, this little church where we had gone to that tent meeting... I finally went with her one Sunday. Now, this is amazing because it was Father's Day, 1995. And the pastor asked all the fathers to stand. And he began repeating words for us to to say or for us to repeat after him. And he began to read scripture and had us repeating those words. And I'm standing there thinking... These people don't have a clue who I am. You know, I, I was already missing that, that life of putting myself first, of drinking and carousing. But I'm here repeating scripture that that pastor is feeding into all of the men standing there. Now, I was clueless as to what was really happening. But those of you who know what God's word is about and what it says in Isaiah fifty-five eleven that He says, I send that word and it will not return to me void. It will do what I intend it to do. Well, nothing amazing happened to me that morning, but I went home and we ended up back at that church Sunday night. And I can't tell you how it happened, but I ended up at the altar of that church on my knees asking the Lord to forgive me for all the foul and wretched things I had done. He didn't only begin a change in me as far as who I was and what I did. It was a beginning there, yes. But he totally changed my attitude toward this lady who for 12 years, I didn't want to be around her. I wanted to get away so badly. And he changed me to the point that I loved and cherish her more than anyone else I have ever known. Now, it took almost 10 years from the time I became a Christian until Thomas surrendered his will to the Lord. And I'm not going to lie to you. 
The challenges those years presented were not easy. There were some days I wanted to give up, but I was always drawn back to God's word, and I remembered that I had told him that I would pray for my husband until our marriage was restored. But it was also a time for refining in my own life. Now, Thomas has shared just a small portion of what went on in our marriage, and he looks like the obvious bad guy. But God had a lot of work to do in my own heart. You know, the Lord is just as concerned about the little inward sins of the heart as he is about the big outward sins of the flesh. He reminds us in Matthew 7, verse 4, that we are to take the log out of our own eye so that we can see clearly to take the speck out of someone else's. Now, all those years waiting for God to move, they were hard, they were tough, but it's a process, and God just moves us along one day at a time. But let me tell you some of the awesome things he did. He was always on time with everything I needed, and he always brought me exactly what I needed. He put me in a great church. He put me in an awesome Bible study for seven years to learn more about him and his way of doing things. It's interesting that Tom mentioned that about mentoring. I'll tell you, he brought the godliest woman into my life that mentored me. She taught me how to stand on God's word and to believe him. And then he surrounded me with incredible prayer warriors that stood in the gap believing that God would restore my marriage. So it wasn't all so bad. The other thing he did, he gave me the ultimate privilege of helping to lead my children, family members, and friends into his presence. I'll tell you, God didn't waste my sorrows, and he won't waste yours. Now, when the Lord did move in Thomas's life, he did just as he says in his word, in Ephesians 3.20. Our God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than we can ask or think. All I wanted was a normal home life. But let me tell you what the Lord did. He took out my husband's stony heart. He replaced it with that soft, pliable heart. He gave Thomas a desire to serve him and to serve his fellow man. The Lord has such a sense of humor. He actually uses Thomas and I now to come alongside other couples that are struggling in their marriage. And we're also privileged to travel on behalf of the Gideon ministry and share God's word. It was at a Gideon event not long ago that I heard this said, and I just love it. God's word is like a river. It's gentle enough for the newest believer to wade into safely, and it's strong enough for the oldest saint to dive into deeply. 
Now I'm going to close with the same thing that I opened with. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. Because I just think it's so important for everyone to realize that God has a plan for our life. It's not just my life he had a plan for, not just Thomas's. He has a plan for every life in this room. And he says it's a good plan. But it does come with conditions. He says we have to call upon him and we have to come and pray to him. And then he says that we have to seek him with all of our heart. As we close, what I want to do is read a prayer that Paul prays, and I want you to uh, listen to what Paul has to say to those of us here in this room. When I think of the wisdom and scope of God's plan, I fall on my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will give you mighty inner strength through his Holy Spirit. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love really is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is so great, you will never fully understand it. Then you will be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Amen.